Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening, if you would. Get your Bibles out. Open them up to Isaiah, the 38th chapter. Isaiah chapter 38, that is where we're going to be working from uh, tonight. Going to be looking right there at the very top of that chapter. We'll uh, make reference to some other passages along the way, but you just open your Bible and just lay it there. We'll just, we'll just kind of keep our, our focus tightly locked there on the, the first eight verses of this chapter. What an uh, absolutely beautiful day that this has been. Uh, spring most certainly is in full swing. Uh, one of the things that I noticed up in Iowa was that they are a little bit behind on spring uh, time. There wasn't a whole lot of colors and it's kind of drab up there. Maybe they'll get it here in the next uh, little bit. But boy, it's, it's in full bloom here and the beautiful colors and the warmth and the, just the feeling of, of newness all around us. That's just a, a blessing, all those things. And just to top it all off, uh, getting to experience such a good day as this on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, where we've come together to worship God and to encourage one another and to enjoy the fellowship of being in God's family. I'm so glad that you've chose to be back this evening. Uh, this evening I am hoping that no one is going to be offended if uh, two things. If A, if I'm a little bit more abbreviated in my uh, presentation of the sermon this evening. I have had uh, a long week with lots of uh, hours on the road and uh, things of that nature. Um, and I've never heard anybody complain if I get up and say that I'm going to preach a little bit shorter. That'll be a first if somebody, yeah, everybody's giving me a thumbs up about that, that. Uh, secondly, though, I, I hope you will not be offended if I do something a little bit different this evening. And I know when a preacher gets up and says he's going to do something different, that makes the preacher's mom squirmy and his wife squirmy and others squirmy. I don't know what this means. Well, you'll see what I mean when we get to that particular point. It's nothing too out of the ordinary uh, in, in a general sense, but it might be out of the ordinary for this part of our, of our worship. Let's begin all that, though, in Isaiah the 38th chapter. I'm reading here in verse number 1. In Isaiah 38 and in verse 1, we are told, Isaiah 38.1, that in those days, King Hezekiah, he became sick, and he was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. You know, for quite some time now, eight weeks in fact, we have been reading as part of our congregational reading plan this year, profiting from the prophets. We've been reading the book of Isaiah. And for the first 35 chapters or so, we have read prophetic words and visions and judgments as Isaiah is commissioned to go and speak, primarily to the nation of Judah. But there's also a number of words that need to be said to other nations round about as well. And I'm just going to go ahead and be honest with you, that reading has not always been easy. Some of those prophecies can be kind of hard to understand and to, to get all the language and the metaphors that are being used. Uh, some of that language and some of that talk is very repetitive. I, I had a comment that was made to me about that, that it kind of seems like it's the, a lot of the same stuff again and again and again, chapter after chapter. And, and I know that I am not the only one who has expressed that reading in the prophets and even reading here in Isaiah this year, as great and as important of a book of the Bible as that is, that it can be difficult at times. But then this past week, if you're following along and if you're up to speed, we came to Isaiah chapters 36 and 37, and 38. And for me, it was kind of like that feeling that you get whenever you've been driving on a, on a very long and narrow and dusty and bumpy road, and then all of a sudden you get to the end of it and it just opens up. Four lanes, divided highway, and oh, you just got all this room, and it's just so much easier now. 
Because in Isaiah 36, 37, and 38, what we get is we finally get a story. We get some narrative. We get some action. All these weeks of prophecies and judgment and prophecies and judgment and prophecies and judgment, we finally get a story that we can grab a hold of. We've got a story of a king. And there's Assyrians, and there's armies, and there's walls, and there's invasions, and there's battles, and all these amazing things that are happening that captivate our attention. It's the kind of stuff that makes for a really great movie. And for me, it was a much-needed breath of fresh air. It's a nice change of pace after all those weeks of prophecy reading to get to some story. And in that story, we were introduced to King Hezekiah, one of the great kings in the history of Judah. And we're learning about the drama that surrounded the, the threat of the invasion of Jerusalem by the Assyrian armies, those fearsome, war-mongering people. But right in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all this national upheaval that's taking place, we get this little story, this little interlude in chapter 38 about Hezekiah and his personal problems, some personal struggles. What we read there in verse 1 introduces us to Hezekiah's health crisis. You know, it's bad enough when the mighty Assyrians are knocking at your door and threatening to come in and to take everything over. But to make matters worse, King Hezekiah becomes really, really sick. My question for you this evening is, why is this here? Why is this in the Bible? More specifically, why is this right here in the middle of all of the prophecies of Isaiah? You know, think about it. There are lots of kings in the Bible where the Bible, you know, explanation about those kings and about their work and about the things that they said and did is like, you know, summarized in like one sentence. King so-and-so lived for X number of years. He reigned in Judah. He reigned in Israel for X number of years. He died next then the next person. And there's lots of that in the Old Testament. Why then do we get all this detail about Hezekiah and his life? And in particular, this story. This story is virtually duplicated in 2 Kings chapter 20. And then details of it are repeated again in 2 Chronicles 32. What then is the point of this story about Hezekiah and his health problems? Why are they here in the Word of God? Well, of course, if it's there, then there's importance to it. We're supposed to learn something from it. I think that's a general truth when we talk about things that are in the Bible. And I'm going to go ahead and just be honest with you, be up front with you this evening, that I believe that the lessons that we learn from this story, I don't think that they're revolutionary. I don't think I'm going to say anything this evening that's going to be really groundbreaking for you. But the things that we do learn from this story, they are fundamental and they are incredibly practical. And so what I'd like to do this evening for just a few moments is I'd like to just look at this story in Isaiah the 38th chapter and I'd like to just kind of, we're going we're to do like kind of a quick summary of this story and then just a few quick hitters, just a few takeaways that this story teaches us and then at the end as a bonus, before I'm done, before I step out of this pulpit, I want us to put into practice the teaching of this story. We're going to do that right here tonight going to apply the lesson before I ever even exit the pulpit. You ready for that? Let's just start by reading those eight verses together. Let's just go back and read verse 1 again, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on here. In Isaiah 38, and in verse 1, In those days Hezekiah became sick, and he was at the point of death. And so Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, and you will not recover. 
Verse 2, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. And he said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and I have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend this city. Verse 7, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that He has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz, turn back ten steps. And so the sun turned back on the dial ten steps by which it had declined. Now, I said just a moment ago, as I introduced this, that, that Hezekiah is sick, but maybe that's a bit of an understatement. Because the truth of the matter is, what we learned there in verse 1 is that Hezekiah is he's dying. He is dying. Now, the text doesn't tell us everything about what his particular ailment, what his illness is. We don't know all the ins and outs of his medical condition. If you drop down to verse 21 of this chapter, you'll notice there that he was apparently afflicted with some kind of a boil, the text says. And I know that we read that, and to us, we probably think, oh, it just sounds like he had a really bad blister. What in the world? Somebody's going to die from a blister. Well, it probably was more significant than that. It was obviously much more than just an inconvenience to him. It was deadly. It was terminal. Isaiah said in verse 1, you are not going to recover. Now, when we read that, I want us to be careful, especially after reading a whole book full of prophecy and God pronouncing judgments on people. We want to be careful that we don't infer from this verse that the sickness that Hezekiah endured, that it was some kind of a judgment from God, that God was punishing him, that God afflicted him with this sickness because he was displeased with Hezekiah in some way. There's nothing in the text that indicates that. But the message is still clear. God says through Isaiah... You need to set your house in order because you are going to die. In a lot of ways, when you stop and think about it, that's actually an act of mercy on the Lord's part to let Hezekiah know that in advance and to know that he needed to start making preparations for his death. Which then prompts kind of the second part of this story, and that is that what Hezekiah does in response to that is Hezekiah prays. You know, is anybody really even surprised by that at all? And I'm not just asking that just because Hezekiah is a very godly person. I mean, just in general, are we surprised that when someone receives a terminal diagnosis, that one of the first things that they think to do is to pray to God? There are people who are not even religiously minded at all who have heard bad news such as that, and that is exactly what they do. They can't think of anything else to do, so I'm going to pray to God about that. And in particular, the fact that this diagnosis is a diagnosis from God Himself. You know, it's one thing when a doctor comes in and says, we've done all that we can do. We're giving you three months to live. I mean, that's, that's pretty scary stuff. But this is coming from God. This is as certain as it gets. You are about to die. And so what Hezekiah does here in verse 2 is what I think just about anybody would do in a situation like this. He pleads with the one who can actually do something about it. Hezekiah, as far as we know, was not a doctor. Everybody else wasn't able to help him and get him better. So I'm going to just turn and plead to the one who does have the ability to do something about that. 
And once again, I want us to be careful with something in the text and don't make wrong inferences here. In verse 2, notice when it says that Hezekiah, he turns his face to the wall. I don't know about you, but as soon as I read that, I immediately thought of another king in Israel who turned his face to the wall, and he did that and pouted. That, of course, was King Ahab. When Naboth would not sell him that vineyard, that's what Ahab did. He turned to the wall and he pouted like a baby. Well, that's not what Hezekiah is doing here. In fact, I think we can probably kind of figure out why he turns to the wall to pray. Most likely at this point, he's probably bedridden. There's nowhere that he can go. And so in an effort to try to have a moment of of privacy and solitude where he can just talk to God without any kind of distractions, he can't get up out of the bed and go to the closet or go some other special place. He just turns his head to that maybe that blank, empty wall. And I'm just going to focus on talking to my God. And that's what he does. He just prays and pleads with the Lord. This appeal that he makes there in verse 3, it seems rather simple. I kind of wonder if maybe there was more to this prayer than what is actually recorded here in the text. But what Hezekiah appeals to in that prayer is he simply appeals to his own faithfulness in his walk with God. Reminds God, God, I've, I've tried to serve you faithfully. I've tried to lead these people faithfully. I've tried to just be what you've wanted me to be. And maybe in some ways, maybe that even is an understatement. Hezekiah is amongst the elite of all the kings in in all of Israel or Judah's history. I mean, if you're kind of putting a ranking system together of all the great kings of the Old Testament, I mean, Hezekiah would be near the top of the heap, maybe second only to King David. Think about it. You read about Hezekiah in Kings and in Chronicles, the things that he did. He led a spiritual reformation, helped to turn the people away from idols. That's what he inherited when he took the throne. He tore down the high places. He restored temple worship, reinstituted the Passover observance. He reappointed the priesthood. He was a righteous king. He was a tremendous leader. And I think that when Hezekiah speaks to God and he kind of draws upon his own faithfulness to the Lord, I think he's doing that out of a concern for the people that he is governing. I think that's probably the the reason for this request and why he says what he says. He's concerned about the people. He doesn't want them to turn back away from God. God, I'm asking if you will heal me so that I can continue to lead these people and keep them in the pathways of righteousness. Well, what happens? What happens whenever godly servants cry out to the Lord? Well, that's the third piece in this story, and that is, verse 4, we find that Hezekiah, he is heard. In fact, if you were to read the account in 2 Kings chapter 20, what you find out is that God's response to this prayer, it was actually almost instantaneous. In 2 Kings chapter 20, we get an interesting little detail there in verse 4 that we're told that before Isaiah, the guy who delivered this bad news... Before Isaiah can even get fully off the property, before he can even make his way out of the corridors and the courtyard, God speaks to him again and tells him, Hey, Isaiah, I want you to go back to Hezekiah and I want you to give him a new message. And in verse 5 of that chapter, I love what God says. He says, Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. And here's what I want you to tell him. And really, it's multiple fold what he says to him. First of all, God says... I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. I am keenly aware of what is going on with my faithful servants. 
And that says to us that God is attuned, God is attentive to the cares and the cries of His people. Even if God didn't do anything else except that, that would be enough to amaze me. The fact that God would even listen to my cries, that is astounding. But God does more than just listen. God says, secondly, He says, I'm going to answer your request. I'm going to grant that request. I am going to remove that sickness from you. And that also is incredible, but God doesn't stop there. Thirdly, God says, not only are you going to survive, but I'm going to give you 15 more years of health and life. How gracious is that? Hezekiah didn't even ask for that, but God says, I'm giving you 15 more years. God still isn't done. God says, on top of that, I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to deliver Judah from the threat of these Assyrians. I'm going to, verse 6, I'm going to defend this city. And in fact, I do think that probably explains the reason why God gave 15 years. I don't think that was just an arbitrary number that God pulled out of a hat. I think He chose 15 years because that would ensure that Hezekiah will be on the throne, he'll be on the scene to help to see things that are set right and things stay right for the duration of time that the Assyrians are a threat. And if all of that wasn't enough, we get even just kind of a bonus there at the end, God says in verses 7 and 8, I'm even going to give you a tangible sign. It seems as if Hezekiah had asked for some kind of a demonstration so that I know your promise is going to be fulfilled. God does this issue with the turning back the sundial there to confirm that His promises were indeed legitimate. And what's the net result of all that? What's the, what, 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 what's the conclusion of all this? Well, ultimately what we find is we find that Hezekiah, he is healed. If you were to read, we didn't read these verses, but if you were to read beginning in verse 9 down through verse 20, what you'll find there is really kind of a beautiful... Somebody may say it's a prayer. We may consider it a psalm. He's been recovered and he just expresses his, his thanksgiving. He lauds God and adores Him through the words that he has written. And I'd have you to notice that this healing that Hezekiah receives on this occasion, it does not seem to be some kind of an instantaneous, miraculous healing. Now, God certainly does that throughout the Bible. Jesus does that often. He's healing people of leprosy just like that. He's healing people who are blind, just like that. He's even raising people from the dead, just like that. But on this particular occasion, drop down to verse 21 again, there's mention there about taking a cake of figs, presumably to make some kind of an ointment, and you're to then apply that ointment to the boil that was causing the problems. And when you couple that with the parallel account in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 5, we're told that Hezekiah, he was going to take him three days to recover from this illness with the boil. And so that's interesting to me that God chooses to work providentially. He chooses to work through natural processes, at least on this occasion, but His work is accomplished nonetheless. The end result is that Hezekiah is healed. Now, that's a, that's a great little story. I think it's almost the kind of story you could sit down with, with little kids and talk about and draw out some important ideas. And I think little kids would get those concepts. In fact, that's what I'd like to do for these last couple of minutes. Let me, I've got, all right, so we broke that down into four parts. Let me give you four applications, four takeaways that I think this story teaches us. And I want to begin with the one that's probably the least pleasant of all, and that is that this story teaches us that life, life is tough. It is. It can be hard sometimes. And that is a universal truth. I say that because just because many of us are Christians, just because we're trying to be dedicated servants of God, just because we're doing all kinds of good and important work in the kingdom of God, 
That does not mean that you and I are somehow immune from the trials and the tribulations that befall human beings in this life. As I said a second ago, Hezekiah, man, he's amongst the elite of the elite in the Old Testament. One of the greatest kings in the Old Testament. And yet, despite his stellar record, his stellar walk with the Lord, he too had to know firsthand the reality of suffering. And it will be no different for you and I. Christians experience troubles. Christians lose their jobs. Christians have to endure financial hardship. Christians struggle in their marriages. Christians have problems with their children. Christians suffer loss. Christians get sick. That's going to happen. And yes, sometimes I realize, sometimes those problems and those difficulties are the result of of bad choices on our part. Sometimes those difficulties are the result of the evil actions of others toward us. Sometimes those things are the result of the chastisement of God. I get all of that. But let's be clear. Sometimes bad stuff happens and you know what it is? It's just life. It's just life. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9 and in verse 11, time and chance happen to them all. It's just part of being a human. It's part of living here in a fallen world. We will from time to time have to experience the tough stuff of life. Now that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Even though life is tough, here's the next great takeaway from this story. God is our comfort. As tough as it may be sometimes to live on planet earth, our God is right there by our side. I love the fact that the very first thing that Hezekiah thinks to do upon receiving this bad news from Isaiah, the first thing that he does is he turns to God. It just seems like for Hezekiah that was just almost like, you know, it, it, it was reflexive. You, know, you go to the doctor and they have you sit up on the table and he gets the little hammer and they bang your knee and what do you do? You're like, oh, just kicks. I mean, just instantaneous. I don't even have control over that. It's just doing it on its own. I kind of almost take it. That's the way it is with Hezekiah. Gets bad news. I'm turning my face to the wall. I'm praying to God. It was instinctual to seek out God's help. And i got to tell you, if I'm ever going to develop some kind of an instinct that will help me in life, that would be one of them. That's an instinct you and I need to develop. We need that same impulse that's going to seek out the Lord in the hour of trial. You know, so many people, in fact this is true even sometimes of Christians, but so many people see God as being the source of their troubles. He's the one that's causing all these problems or he's at least at fault because he's not stopping my problems. They blame God for the tough stuff of life when instead God wants to be viewed, he needs to be viewed, must be viewed as the rock. He's the rock that we are clinging to in those times. When those storms of life are blowing, when the waters are rushing and raging, we need to grab a hold of the rock. In Psalm 146 and in verse 1, the psalmist says there, God is our refuge and our strength. And I've always loved this little expression. He is a very present help in times of trouble. What a wonderful concept that is. Do we see God in that way? Do we lean upon Him? Somebody's going to say, yeah, we need to lean upon God every day. I get that. But especially, are we leaning even more heavily upon Him when the difficult stuff of life comes? Which leads right directly into this third takeaway from Hezekiah's story, and that is that prayer, prayer works. You know, this story just shows, uh, just in plain 
terms, in a plain way, that God attends. He is attuned to His children. He listens. He responds. He answers prayer. And i got to tell you, my favorite part about God answering this prayer is that God actually does more than what Hezekiah even asked for. All Hezekiah asked for was to recover. God gave him that and then a whole bunch more. And I love that. And I need to remind you and I need to remind myself that when we pray, we are praying to the exact same God that Hezekiah prayed to. That's actually kind of cool to think about. Me and Hezekiah were talking to the same guy. Do we think about that? Do we think about attending God attending to the prayers of His people? In the New Testament, we're given that confirmation. 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 12, Peter says there that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayers. God's promise is that when we do cry out to Him, He's going to be listening. God's never going to be too busy for you. God's never going to be preoccupied with something else and doesn't have time for you. God's never going to say, I'm just really not interested in what you have to say today. No, God wants us. He wants His children to talk to Him. And furthermore, He is most eager to respond to the prayers of His children. In fact, Ephesians 3 verse 21 says that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or all that we think. And what that means is, is that means that prayer for us should never ever be viewed as some kind of a last line of defense. It's kind of a last-ditch effort here. I tried everything else to fix this problem, and I guess I just might as well pray. No, no. Hezekiah, that's not how he viewed that. You know, the first thing Hezekiah did was not call the doctor. The first thing Hezekiah did was not, hey, give me some of that you know, new medicine coming out of Egypt. That's not what he did. The first thing that he did was bring it before God's throne in prayer. And listen to me, I'm not knocking doctors or medicine or treatments. All those things are important. All those things are needful. But when a crisis comes, is that the place to start? I would submit to you that it is not. Prayer, turning to God, talking to our Father, that's the starting point. Why? Because it works. Which leads to this final takeaway from Isaiah chapter 38. And that is that just as in the case of Hezekiah, so too today God heals. And that may come in any number of ways, whether that be through miraculous means. You know, sometimes we, we go out of our way to talk about how you know, God has not empowered human beings today to perform miracles. But that does not preclude the possibility that God still does miraculous things. And by that I mean the kinds of things that defy human explanation and scientific and natural laws being able to be understood. God can do it that way. Or maybe God just does that through natural processes. Maybe God does that through, through normal kinds of things. Whatever the case may be, the end result is that God is at work. And we know that he was at work in the case of Hezekiah. Somebody's going to say, well, I don't think God should get the credit for that. You know, Hezekiah, he took the, did the ointment on there. It took three days before he got better. I don't know why you got to you know, praise God about that. Well, we know that God was at work with Hezekiah because if he wasn't, then Hezekiah would have died. That's what God said was going to happen. You know, God can work through his providence. God can work through any means that he chooses in order to bring about healing, to bring about the healing of sickness and disease. To bring about the healing as well of broken hearts, 
to bring about the healing of wounded relationships. Maybe most importantly of all, God is able to heal us from sin. And that means, as I think specifically about this story, that means that when we pray for the sick, that is something that is regularly uttered and offered in our prayers when we come together as a congregation. We're not just saying words. We're not just you know, throwing a bunch of empty platitudes up to the sky in hopes that maybe one of them will stick. Maybe one of them will make it all the way to the throne room of God and maybe, just maybe, He'll do something about that. No, when we pray for the sick in that way, we are confidently, with great hope and earnest expectation, that the power of God through prayer, with faith, will in fact lead to healing. And so, with that said, I think that this is a very good time to put that truth into practice. And the way I'd like to do that is I'd actually like to do that in two different ways this evening. I'd like to do that through a prayer in song and through a prayer in spoken word. If you're using a songbook tonight, would you get out a supplement and turn it to number 25? Number 25, this is the song, I Close My Eyes. And this song, very much, it is, it, it, it's a prayer. It is a prayer that we are uttering to God, but we're doing it in a very poetic kind of way. I want you to sing it with me, and I want you to think about the words of this song. And I want you to think about as if we are saying this to God right now. In the conclusion of that song, we're going to go to God uh, in a spoken word of prayer. Number 25, I close my eyes. My prayer, Jehovah, hear to my entreating cry. In faithfulness give ear. In righteousness reply, No God have I but Thee. Teach me to do Thy will. Thy Spirit's good lead me on even pathway still I close my eyes I see His majesty I close my eyes and feel His love for me. Because I trust in Thee, O cause Thou me to hear Thy loving kindness free when morning doth appear. Make me to know Thy way wherein my path should be because my soul each day do I 
unto thee, I close my eyes, I see his majesty, I close my eyes and feel his love for me. There are a number of people in our uh, spiritual family here that we know are dealing with sickness and physical infirmities. And that's what we want to go to God in prayer for at this time right now. Bow with me as we go to God in a word of prayer. Our most gracious God, our Father alive and in heaven, Father, we do come before you this evening uh, laying our petitions at your feet, just as your servant Hezekiah did so long ago. Father, we come before you uh, with uh, great concern and uh, with desire to see our brothers and our sisters and the people that we love who are dealing with physical infirmities of the body, that they would be healed. Father, there are many of our, of our direct uh, number here, of this local family and people that we've been praying for regularly, for uh, some for, for months. Uh, we're praying, Father, for uh, those of our number who are, who are aged and infirm and are shut in. We pray for Ron and LaVon. We pray for Calvin and for Rena. We pray for Steve and for Ann. Father, we pray as well for Melinda and for recovery there with her, her cancer. We pray, Father, that you would continue to, to help her progress, that she might be back to a, a better state of health. We pray for our sister uh, Melina. We pray that you would comfort her and give her better days. And we pray, Father, that if it is your will, that you would uh, give her uh, a, a portion of, of, of health back, that she can be back out and be able to, uh, to live life in a better way. We're praying as well for our sister Sharon. We pray for her with the complications that she's endured recently from her surgery. We pray your blessings upon her. Father, there are others who deal with health problems that uh, they may not be absent from us, but they're here, and yet they struggle with those things daily, and we're asking your, your special blessings upon them. You know who they are. You know what their needs are. Father, we entreat you about these things because we know that you have the power to afflict, but that you also have the power to heal. We know you have the power of death, but we know you also hold the power of life. And so we entreat upon you, our Lord, to, uh, to heal those who need uh, your special touch. Father, we are asking, we would be remiss if we did not ask for uh, the, 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 the COVID-19 and all of the turmoil that it's created for our world. Father, it's our desire that it would be eradicated from this earth. We're thankful for the progress that has been made, and we're thankful for, uh, for medicine and vaccines and things that are being made possible for, uh, for, for us to be able to uh, enjoy better health and to have uh, you know, better confidence and, and, and more closeness together. But Father, we do ask that those things be removed from this, from this world so that we might be able to, uh, to, to know the true joy of being uh, your people and being able to be together once again. Father, we know that there is healing that needs to happen in other ways, and we ask for that as well. We do pray, Father, for those who have broken hearts. We ask your healing for them. We pray for those who have wounded relationships. We ask for your healing there. Father, most of all, we do ask for healing when it comes to the very most important things, and that is the matter of the soul. Father, we recognize that sin has absolutely ravaged us. It has uh, damaged us. 
But we know that through the great physician, through what Jesus has done, through His death upon the cross and His glorious resurrection, that we can find healing, spiritual healing. We can be cleansed of sin. And we ask, Father, that if there is sin present in our life right now, that You would uh, cleanse us, that You would wash it from us, that we might be able to be uh, justified and be right in Your sight once more. Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His life and for what He did and for all the blessings that come through Him. And it is in His glorious name that we offer this prayer. And amen. In just a moment, we are going to stand and we're going to sing the song that's been selected as a song of invitation. There may be someone here this evening who is in need of the healing that comes only through Jesus Christ, and that is the healing of the soul. If you are here this evening and you have never responded to the call of the gospel, uh, all things are ready. And we are eager and we are desirous. God is more eager than even any of us are for you to come to Him and to receive that healing. He is patiently waiting. He has allowed the world to stand. He has granted to you health and life and vitality so that you could live to this present moment and that you would have this moment right now to be able to respond to His gospel. Can we help somebody do that tonight? By confessing your faith in Jesus as God's Son and being buried with Him in the waters of baptism. We'd love nothing more than to help somebody tonight to become a Christian. If you are a Christian but you've not been living as you should, there is sin in your life and you desire the prayers and the encouragement of this spiritual family here, we stand ready to do just that and to help you in any way that we can. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to make that known by coming to the front. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.